Hey, good morning, and um, what a beautiful day it is. For some of you who actually pay money to go on vacation to like Seattle or Portland, like, hey, you have it here, so enjoy it for a day. It's um, so nice to worship with you guys and um, just um, listening to the singing um, and the collective voices. That's the nice thing about sitting in the front. You hear everyone uh, behind you. And um, it's just so nice to um, kind of meditate on that. I have a question for you as we start this new um, series of sermons for this quarter is, um, who is someone who has, who are the people who have impacted your life the most? Right? Um, I, I wanna ask you that question. I want you to think about that for a moment. Really, in your life, how many people, who are the ones that have made the greatest impact in your life? Right? Um, you could probably count them on the fingers on one hand, maybe two. And, and the ones who impacted us the most, right, we might guess are, um, how many of you guys just by show of hands said mom? I mean, mom is up there, right? Mom's kind of up there. Mom is the number one answer on the board, right, usually. Uh, how many of you was a grandma? Any grandmas that were like, you know, really big in your life, right? Um, and then we might have a few teachers, like along the way, that, that one teacher in elementary school, and then that one in, at graduate school that actually cared, um, and, and just, just a handful. And what's the common kind of thread amongst all those people is those people loved us, right? They loved us. It wasn't so much that they were the smartest, or the richest, or the best looking, they just loved us, right? And I have a special bond. <clears throat> when I think about my grandmother, who passed away years back, um, she lived with us when I was in elementary school. And we immigrated on the same plane when I was six years old. And we, um, you know, and, and so she lived with me and um, was like, uh, you know, my parents were busy working, and she was the one that was there taking care of me. And there's a special touch about a grandmother, isn't there? Um, zero punishment, you're always right, you know, there's always something good to eat. I mean, these are, um, man, I, and I remember uh, me and my grandmother used to like to go to the local uh, round table pizza. This is when I lived up in the Bay Area. We'd go to the round table pizza and we'd walk. She didn't know how to drive and we'd walk and I might have been in the third grade and she always had money for pizza and she'd say, all right, let's go eat pizza. And we walk over and then I still remember ordering the medium uh, like Supreme or whatever it was and I would always give her grief because she, I had to order because she couldn't speak English. And I said, we came on the same plane. How come you're so, you know, dumb, grandma? And, you know, she was like, you know, and then she was like, quiet, you know, I'm paying for it, quiet. And then, and then we would kind of argue, and then I'd order it, and we'd eat it. Um, I'd probably eat two-thirds of it, you know, and uh, she would feed me. But those are, those are the people that impacted me. And if, if, I, if you had a wish, Jeannie in the bottle said, you know, I will change those people for the richest, uh, for the smartest. How many of us would? I wouldn't, right? How many would say, oh, you know, if I can give you a grandmother that's richer, would you want a grandmother? No, I, I'd want the one I had. I'd want the mom that I had. I'd want those professors or teachers that impacted me. I'd want them in my life. I'd want the wife that I have because they love me. And so we know we can all agree, man, it is love that changes a person. It is love that is, gives meaning to a person. It is love. And the greatest love that we encounter is a love of God in Christ. And it becomes, sometimes it becomes such a theoretical thing. 
that we know it in our heads and we don't really believe it in our hearts, but really that God loved us. He gave his only begotten son, right? That he loves us in Christ. And today we see this list, all right? In, in Galatians chapter 5, a list, and it, the list is a list of, and it's a singular fruit. It's not a bunch of different fruits. It's not like God makes, you know, so-and-so joyful, but this, this person is gentle, but, you know, this person has no self-control, but he's, no, it's all of these things. It's one singular fruit of the Spirit that is now made manifest, in sinful people like us. It's interesting because he puts the list of the, the works of the flesh in the previous verses that we read, all the horrible things, all the things we want to stay away from, all the things that we have to fight against, dissension and strife, sexual immorality, all those things. He puts that list there and then he puts this beautiful list underneath to make sure we understand that this comes from God, this is not of our doing. Because if we were left to ourselves, we would gravitate towards all these things, sensuality, impurity, uh, enmity, strife, all these things, jealousy. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, and it starts with love. And today I want to talk about the love of God and how we ought to love others and, and the topic of love, the fruit of love for us today. Um, we see, first of all, that love is from God, and God is the source of our love. The Christian love, what we hear, um, if you've been in the church, you've heard the word agape. Um, that's the word that is used here. Uh, this idea of the Christian love, the divine love, the sacrificial love, so on. Um, that's, that we see here is this idea that it's from God. Right? Paul, in the context, shows us it's not from your flesh, it's not from your natural being because if it's left up to you, all you do is you care about yourself. You are jealous. There's dissension. There's all these things because you all just care about yourself. But these beautiful list of characteristics of a man or a woman of God is all about the other person. And it starts with love. It's from God. 1 John 4, 19. Maybe we shoot that up if we have that. Can we read this out loud together? One, two, three. We love because he first loved us. John wants to get the message across. We love because he first loved us. He enables us to love. It's a gift that we have, right? And he says it again in, in the Gospel of John, in John 15, that we know so well. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a very simple illustration. Here's the main vine, here are the branches. If you take the branch, you, you cut it off from the vine, this branch is nothing. You will wither. The source of life, you have to be connected to the vine. You have to be connected to God. Without him, you can do nothing. So this is a, a supernatural love. This is a love that is divine. This is a love that defines us. It comes from God to us. He first loved us. The second thing is our, the Christian's primary responsibility, our, our fundamental identity is based in love. Right? This is the one thing that we do. This is the main thing that we do, is we love. Now, we could study the word. Um, there's some churches that emphasize, you know, you should speak in tongues, and that's important. Or, um, you know, you ought to go and, you know, go sacrifice for, you know, those who are less fortunate. Yeah, those are important. But ultimately, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, even if you give yourself 
Your own body to be burned, but if you, have no, if you have not love, you are nothing, a resounding gong. You are nothing without love. So our first responsibility, our main identity as a Christian is that we ought to be loving people. So we ought to be identified not by hey, the, the box that we check off and when we identify ourselves and what we do or who we are and what religious background. No, it's really by the love that we demonstrate. Um, we know when Jesus is asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest of all the commandments? All the interpretations of all the commandments, what's the top one? And Jesus sums it up in this way. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This Rodney Stark, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. A sociologist uh, reconsiders history, talks about the impact of Christians in our history. And he writes a lot of good things. um, And it debunks a lot of false notions that are kind of spread. And one of the things he really pinpoints is that the power of of the Christian church to change the culture in in all of history. And this, just a little quote. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And he says at the end, for what Christianity brought was not simply an uh, urban movement, but a new culture. It changed the whole culture. This is what Christians do. This is what Christians did in the past. This is what we do. We ought to be loving people. This is our first primary identity, our responsibility, right? The third truth about love is this, that love is an act of the will, not just an emotion. It's not something you fall into, you decide to do it because you will to do it, right? Um, Anyone who's lived a little bit understands the the willpower of love, Um, Some of you have have little ones, right? And the ones with little ones, you're already in the back room watching a video feed of this. Hi, guys. All right, that's the video. Hi, I see you. You know, pay attention, right? Um, But you're in there already. And the kid's already distracting. They woke up already twice at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., you know. And the will of love says, I have to get up and change that diaper. The flesh says, who cares, you know? And I, we've all been through that. Moms and dads have been through that. It's not out of emotion. It's not like, whoo, you know, yes, I, I get to do this at 3 in the morning. There's nothing I want to do at 3 in the morning, right? But then you do this. Um, love is something that is an act of the will. You know, C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, he says this, Christian love, either towards God or towards man, is an affair of the will, Love, in the Christian sense, does not meet an emotion. It is a state not of feelings, but of the will. That's the state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. So he says, when it's about me, it's natural. To feed myself, care for myself, make sure I get attention, it's natural. But when it comes to others, it's, it's unnatural. I have to force it. It's not like I feel like it. Why is that? Because love involves sacrifice. 
And so in, in order to give away of myself, it is an act of my will. And I pound this home you know, to, to the couples. I do the weddings for some of you. You heard me say this at your wedding. And I always say it's not how you feel. You decide to do it. You have the power to do it. You're going to say it now. You have the power to keep your words. You can't control anything else but that. And I, It's uh, one of the main things I try to hammer home to all the couples who I marry. Because you don't always feel like it. You don't always feel like I want to love this person. And yet the world around us keeps telling us that it's all about how you feel. And we have taken that idea, that false notion of my feeling, and we've taken it to God. Can you imagine us going to a holy God to God? I don't feel like it today. Remember, we were made from dirt, creatures made out of the ground, going to Almighty God. God, I don't feel like doing this today. God, I don't feel like listening to you today. I don't feel like obeying you today. God, I don't feel like going to church today. Can you imagine that? This is, this is the love of God, that he would tolerate people like us. And once we understand, man, this is how we were how we still struggle like this, that we ought to go to God and do the important things, the people who matter. And you could ask anyone who's a Christian, even a nominal Christian, what's important to you? Oh, God, family, work, country, whatever it is, friends. And they they have that list. Everyone has the list. But how could we go to someone who's on the top of our list and say, I don't feel like this? Think about this. If, If, let's say with church, if it was all about how we felt, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be at church about half the, you know, half the year. Like, ah, I, don't, I don't feel like it, you know. I'd like to know what Sunday brunch is like for the first time in my adult life. <laughs> my poor wife has been deprived of Sunday brunch. And the only way I find out is on someone's Facebook. Oh, I didn't see them at church today. They were at brunch. Wow. <laughs> I hope it was good. Honey, it's not that good, right? How do you know you've never been? I, I don't know, you know. So, um, But it's really not about our feeling, but it's about the will. I decide to love in this way. And we want to keep that in mind. Our love, fourthly, is we have the capacity. Our capacity to love grows. The fruit that is attached, that is growing. If any of you have any kind of a a tree in your yard, we used to have an orange tree in my uh, previous house, and it would grow and really, you'd have to wait till maybe this time of year, right? Some say to, to actually be able to have the fruit. But it would grow. It starts, and it's green, and it's small, and then it just grows. And you know it's going to be uh, sweeter and juicier. It's going to grow. Um, you don't want to be the fruit that's attached and just you look like a lime on an orange tree for the rest of your life. You want to now look and grow. And your capacity to love should grow. This is the prayer that Paul had, that we would live out our identity. In Philippians 1, it's interesting because all these verses about love, these passages about love, it's coming from Saul, who was the persecutor of the church, who got converted on the road to Damascus, Paul. The one who was zealous, self-righteous, really no love in him, had changed so much by the love of Christ. And he says, this is his prayer in Philippians 1.9, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That it would continue to grow. That, that phrase there that we see that it would abound more and more in the original language is the idea of leftovers. 
It's used in um, Luke 9, 17, when Jesus had fed the masses, the thousands, with the bread and the fish, and they had leftovers, 12 baskets of leftovers. Everyone was full, and there was still more to give. That's the description of his prayer, that your love would not just be at 80%, 90%, but it would be left over, that you would love everyone that comes your way. The neighbor that comes, that God has placed into your life, the description of a neighbor is someone who God has placed in your vicinity, in your life. Love your neighbor. That it would be overflowing in this way. This is our identity. John Stott says this, for the loveless Christian to profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. It's not who we are. How do we grow in this? Is we have to dwell in the love of Christ as we've been hearing. God the Holy Spirit feeds us and we have to go to him. We come to church and we hear about this. We, we read the words of God. We sing and we, we, we meditate on it. And we come to realize the different facets, the depth, the breadth, the height, all of the, the facets of the love of God. How I am undeserving and he still loves me. How I fail him and he is still patient with me. And we understand this and we grasp this. You know, Paul prays again in Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, verse, I'm going to just read verse 18. Right? This is part of his long prayer that starts in verse 14. But he says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you would grow in love in this way. Um, Victor Frankl, uh, Dr. Victor Frankl, who um, the, was a Vienna Jew who was interned um, by the Germans um, and was for three years at various camps, even at Auschwitz at one time. And he, he um, records a lot of different things, the meaning of, of life and so on. And he, uh, he writes and he, he had spoken about many things all the way to the 70s, I believe. Um, and one of the things he you know, experienced is life in a, in a camp like that. Um, they're literally wasting away. They're eating um, a few, 10 ounces of bread a day, a couple pints of this soup, uh, or whatever it is, and they, would, and they have to work. 3 a.m., the bell would go off. Nine men sleeping in a seven-foot-wide wooden pallet would have to get up, sharing only two blankets, you have to get up and it's time to go to work. And he remembers one of the days where he woke up at 3 a.m. again, the bells are going off, time to go to work. The soldiers are there um, guiding him along with the butts of their rifles, guiding him to, and they're gonna go work on the railroad. They have to walk several miles. And as they're going, they're talking. But he recalls one time when one of the men next to him says something to him and he has to cover his mouth with his collar so the soldier wouldn't see him. And he says to him, as they are going through this dreadful walk to go work, he says to him, I wonder what our wives would think of us now. And he pauses there. And as he's walking and records what happens then, and I want to read just a little quote from him. He says, that brought thoughts of my own wife to mind. 
And we all stumbled on for miles, slipping on ice spots, supporting each other time and again, dragging one another up and onward. Nothing was said, but we both knew each of us was thinking about his wife. Occasionally, I looked at the sky where the stars were fading and the pink light of the morning was beginning to spread beyond a dark bank of clouds. But my mind clung to my wife's image, imagining it with an uncanny acuteness. I heard her answering me, saw her smile, her frank and encouraging look. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it set into song by so many poets proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which man can aspire. Love is the greatest thing, the highest goal to which man can aspire. And I'm going to ask you today, who can you love more? How can you demonstrate your love more? Maybe it's even someone that, that's in your house that's related to you. Who do you need to love more? And I know some of us, man, we're, we're holding on to stuff. Some of us are so irritable, you know, like you can't even stand, you know, the San Francisco Giants fan, you know, like they, you just hate them, right? Because they're gloating because they keep beating the Dodgers, right, all the time. And then not only that, they also have the Warriors now. So you really hate them, but you still want to go visit and eat and hang out. But you hate them, you know, you hate them. And I was putting stuff on Facebook, how they're better. And um, the truth really hurts, right? Hey, trivial things, but maybe deep things. Or maybe a casual thing where someone, God has brought someone into your life, through the church, in your neighborhood, you're just getting to know them. You get to hear their story, and you know you can love them more. The church can only be what the individual does. And so we as a church want to be loving, and it happens with each of us. I want to challenge you to ask God, God, help me to be more loving. Help me to love those around me. Help me to love those who are different than me. Help me to love those who are related to me. Help me to love those who have hurt me. Help me to love those within my church family. May the fruit of the Spirit be abundant in our church so that he would be glorified through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you first loved us. And God, we want now to love others. We want to express our love. Would you help us to do so? We still struggle with the flesh, God. Uh, many times it's still about me. Help us to understand it's about you and others. So God, I pray for all the men here that we would be loving men who would, um, for dads, that they would love their children, for husbands to love their spouses, um, for sons to love their parents, for brothers to love their siblings. And I pray for all the women in here that there would be more love in their lives towards those in their lives as well, God. And ultimately that we as a church would be a loving church. We love you because you first loved us. We thank you for the gospel. Now help us to love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.